This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Material is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Um, hi, this is Manon Clavel. I uh, manage my own uh, textile agency uh, for the past 20 years. What I really love about textiles is um, how it connects me to so many different people uh, in the industry and around the world. How does a textile consultant with two decades in the industry land a contract with Delta Airlines to redo their entire uniforms around the world? Coming up, you'll hear about textile development in the airline industry, working with Nike in performance and athleisure, and how international governments support material development. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network, powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto and Samantha Cortez. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. So Delta Airlines. Yes. We've probably all flown it, but mm. we often don't think about the materials that are on the chairs we're sitting on, or mm -hmm. the uniforms of the stewards and stewardesses that are walking down the aisles. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with Delta that's so unique? Sure. So Delta Airline decided to renew um, their uniforms for all their fleet around the world. They decided that, uh, I would say, about three years ago. Um, and my part in it is uh, basically uh, through my vendor, uh, Rudier, who's uh, a factory based in Morocco. We supply the, 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 the core material for the uniforms. And what were they trying to do? do with the uniforms? Why were they looking to change the textiles? You know, I think they had uh, many complaints from employees that uh, the, the uniforms they had at the time were not uh, comfortable, were not very stylish, uh, basically, yeah, were, were not very pleasant to wear. So it was decided, you know, for, uh, I think a great part of it is employer employee satisfaction as much as the image that Delta wanted to project. Uh, so they decided to uh, hire um, a couture designer, an American designer, Zach Posen, to redesign the uniforms, uh, complete redesign, including finding new material for it. That must have entailed a lot of going back and forth with the manufacturer or with uh, with with Delta. Can you t talk to us a little bit about it, uh, how the I process goes? Yeah, I can tell you about it. So uh, working with big uniform programs like these is very different from working, I would say, in the usual uh, cycle of fashion where we're constantly developing new style after style. You know, now every month a new collection. It's very different. Uh, the first thing is these programs are very few and far between. You know, an airline can usually decide to renew their uniform to change it completely, maybe every 10 years, if not longer. Uh, so when they make these decisions, they are very careful about picking the right partners. Uh, typically, you have, so, so the actors that, 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 that play a part would be, of course, the airline, in this case, Delta. Uh, then you have what we call a broker, 
the broker is really uh, the key part in the in the program because it's the link between the airline and all the suppliers including the garment manufacturer uh, the material manufacturer uh, they go they're going to coordinate uh, all the production and they also going to coordinate the distribution to the employees so they need to be able to have a warehouse uh, uh, set up a, a website where the employees can go and purchase new uniforms as they need it over the years. Um, so I would say this is probably the key relationship for the airline and then come the suppliers, so the material and the garment manufacturer. So it's four of us who interact uh, more or less with each other. In the case of De Delta Airline, I was very lucky that we were invited at their headquarters in Atlanta, but that's very rare. Typically, the material supplier doesn't really interact that much with uh, the final customer, the airline. Typically, it's all done through the broker uh, or and the designer, Zach Posen, in this case. And I find that so interesting that for an airline who arguably probably is very concerned about their bottom dollar, uh, that they'd be spending both to make their employees satisfied mm -hmm. and happy and also working with a designer the likes of Zach Posen, mm -hmm. which, you know, just to me signals, and I'm curious if you can touch on this shift in where we are now and where, what they would have made 10 years ago and, and why this change in what people want and what they appreciate as a business. Well, clearly it was a company decision, you know, strategic decision that they wanted to not just make a new uniform, just new colors, but they really wanted to give a style and a certain cachet to the new uniforms. Uh, that said, they were not the first one to do it. Air France had done it before they, when they hired Christian Lacroix. Uh, to uh, renew their uniforms, and that was already a long time ago, maybe five or ten years before. So it's not completely new uh, um, for an airline to decide to do that. Um, also, what else do you get with that? You get a lot of publicity. Um, you know, Zach Posen was uh, front and center during this process in many magazines. I remember seeing a special on the morning shows, uh, Delta, Airline, uh, Delta Airline and their new uniforms uh, with Zach Posen. So it gets a lot of publicity. And I think uh, it really raises the uh, image of the airline, um, you know, around the world. And sure, and obviously working with an American fashion designer and being Delta, an American company, there's probably a value there, too, to promoting the local homegrown uh, as well as that be. As well, no doubt about that. So, so it was really interesting because, in fact, for us, our point of entry was Zach Posen. Yeah, it was. That's where I was yes, going to get at. Did, yes. did Zach Posen pull you in yes. or the manufacturer completely, pull you in? Completely, oh, yeah. So you know, even though the supplier that supply the material and that I represent has, has been doing all the uniform programs with Air France, but mostly in Europe. In the US, not so much. Um, so when Zach Posen called us, and we did, from the moment we did the first presentation to the moment that we, we knew, we understood, we were selected, um, and, and then we received the orders, I think about two and a half years went by. So wow. that's the other factor in, in this type of programs is the length of time that it takes. The development cycle is much longer. So 
during this time, you know, what's really hard is you got to hang in there. You're going to, you know, they ask you all sorts of things. You got to provide samples and more samples and faster and you're developing colors and you're mobilizing everybody at the meal, telling them, you know, this is really important. You know, we need to get this. And at the same time, you, you really don't know if it's going to work out. That's very hard because you're, when you're a manufacturer to start somebody to ask you for samples and samples yeah. and not know that there's mm -hmm. going to be an order coming yeah. down yeah. the line, you're yeah. like, enough with this. I just, they, yeah. they'll pull away easily yeah. as a manufacturer. Uh, or or lose, it's losing the motivation, you know, in-house people could be like, oh, again. So I remember the CEO at some point of, of you know, my, my supplier was a fantastic man and they really uh, went above and beyond for, for uh, you know, these programs and, and, and trying to obtain it. But towards the end, they were getting tired and I could see like is the order ever gonna come and we just had to wait a few more months and yes it came congratulations you know, so thank you what does that look like when you're traditionally sourcing textiles mm. and materials for fashion versus now for Delta and what were the important properties and considerations that made you choose the materials you ultimately did or the vendors right yeah exactly the vendors uh, in terms of the material um in this particular case, they really uh, paid a lot of attention to what the, the employee feedback. So it's, it, this is pretty standard, I understand, in uniform programs, but I, th I think Delta really gave a, a very, uh, maybe more than usual, uh, paid attention to what the employees had to say about it. They did a wear test program uh, of about 10,000 yards. I think that's, that was about 500 to 1,000 employees. Uh, so a year before the program even started, where basically we they built the, the, the collection and had all these employees tested and sent feedback over a period of, of uh, three months. And they would give feedback on everything from uh, the colors to uh, the design of the garment, how comfortable they felt in it, and of course, the fabric. Um, and here we, we got, we were very, um, very happy because we, we got excellent feedback. The employees loved it. And you know what they loved about it um, the most is the fact that it was a bi-stretch fabric. So very comfortable, you know, stretch is important. And when you get bi-stretch, the comfort level just goes up. That the much. by stretch is the stretch in the different directions of the warp and the exactly exactly so typically when when stretch started to appear in the fashion industry it, it was mostly one way stretch so when you see it it's stretching one way but now it's two so we put we put uh, like like raw spandex not only in the weft direction but also in the warp direction and you just have to try on a a by stretch pan because once you try them on you're like oh my god how can i even go back to one-way stretch <laughs> it just feels so much more comfortable like think about wearing a yoga pants you know can you imagine if we did that in like everyday fashion and apparel if we gave our customers the opportunity to kind of test it and try it provide feedback right. before you do a production i mean it would totally change the entire way but it makes yeah. sense yeah. right like well, that that yeah. order was a kind of like a production run yes like that, oh, it, it was. was a big you know it was a yeah. it was a nice order it's not like they did like two years without having anything oh yeah <laughs> although i have to tell you though i mean still this is not what you're working for that hard mo mobilizing everybody it's mm -hmm. you know it's you really work for for the for the for the big thing um but anyway back to so empl employees were very satisfied 
so, so comfort is important. Then we added also a special uh, finishing for uh, stain repellency and oil repellency. So very important. Um, it's important to remember that you know these uniforms are being worn constantly over and over. How do they withstand uh, washing? So all these uniforms are uh, machine washable, at least all the bottoms. I think the jacket, they may probably dry clean them. Uh, but the, the fabrics are all machine washable, stain resistant. Um, and that's also a big part of, um, of the equation in choosing a material. So in that equation, when that's so important to them, did they go and um, how many steps through that process? Did they turn around and say, let's... Let's take this to the lab, and then they would come back and say, no, I need more of it, and take it to the lab, or it was like a seamless uh, process that was just like one shot, you guys did this this mm. treatment, that treatment, and it's okay. No, we had to do some adjusting because the the finishing that they wanted, especially for stain repellency, had, had to withstand up to 30 washes, which is not typical. Very often, uh, this kind of treatment, the requirement is up to five washes, five, 10, maybe 10 in the uniform industry, but 30 was really a lot. So we had to go back to uh, the drawing board and and adjust the finishing and you know it's important in that when you do that that you you adjust the finishing but not in a way that you're going to affect the hand feel or the color so you need to fine-tune that this is where the art you know the, the techniques comes in and you know it, it took us a couple of months and, and testing and retesting and we got it so this gives a little bit more appreciation in the design and development for any other particular product that is not fashion exactly and all the designers that are out there always want to be like the the latest and greatest in the runway show yeah. there's so much technical aspects into textiles that um and uniforms yeah. and different type of yeah. that you have to consider as yeah. being a designer it's that's right. You know, one other thing that's very important here is color development. I would say much more than in the fashion industry, uh, because the you have to imagine that everybody's going to be wearing the same uniforms around the world at the same time. They need to look alike. You cannot have, you know, shade lots like, you know, the so, for example, Delta Airlines, we have a, a plum color, a red color and a gray color where the plum I don't know, in Atlanta needs to look like the same that the plum in Paris or in Madrid or, you know, so color consistency is even more important. So, so that's why, you know, you, you need to work with a factory that has the capability to produce this consistency over large production. So for Zach Posen, mm -hmm. who's coming in and designing this line, how much freedom and creativity can he have mm -hmm. in, in individualization in what he's creating versus what needs to be a certain brand's norm? And, and how do you balance that? Yeah, that's a very good question. I, I didn't take part, uh, you know, in, in, in that, in those discussions directly between Zach Posen and Delta Airline in terms of the design, but I know and I heard from them that there was a lot of debates that Zach Posen was pushing to for more style, for something more unique. 
And you can imagine that, you know, in the world of, of airlines, they tend to be a bit more conservative, not too fashion forward. So it was really these two words meeting together and coming to the table that I, th I think it was a very interesting um, collaboration. And, and from everything I heard, it, it took a lot of back and forth where the Dak Posen team had to really be, be very vocal about what they felt was right. And, and, and like everything, they came to an agreement and they, 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 they they agreed, you know, on, on the style, which is, I, I think, will be much more stylish than most uniforms you, you'll see out there. Excited to see it. Well, I want to hear more about how you first got connected to Zach yeah. Posen and your work with some incredible brands, but I see you brought us a delicious snack. What did you bring and why? <laughs> All right. So I brought you some chocolate Easter eggs. Oh, ah. delicious. Why? I'm a huge chocolate lover. Love it. It's a tradition that reminds me, of course, of my childhood. Uh, my mom would systematically bring Easter eggs uh, at home up to when I was 20 years old to, for me and my brother. So, you know, it was just so sweet. It's just like the greatest thing. So the, the, egg, the egg here, I think, is a nice size, but the one my mom would bring would be like triple <laughs> that size. Every child. Yeah, 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 right. Exactly. So, so it's Easter. I think, I don't know, typically everybody loves chocolate. Um, so I have uh, one for each of you. And then I also brought some Madeleines. Madeleines, I think uh, the closest uh, translation in American would be some sort of a muffin, if you want, although the shape is very different. But Madeleine is also very typical French. Uh, we, would, we would dip it in your, either in your coffee or in your hot chocolate. And that would also remind me of my childhood because sometimes, oftentimes my mom would work late. Uh, she's, uh, she's a family doctor, so when she set up her practice, she would work long hours. And so whenever she was coming home really late, the treat was we would get to have a, our dinner was Madeleine and hot chocolate. And of course, we were very happy about that. Well, so this that is going to be our lunch. We are going to dive into <laughs> that and then back soon with Manon and more about Zach Posen and the other amazing brands she's worked with in textiles right after this. I'm Michelle Park. Hello, world. I'm Stacey Eagle. And welcome to Mom Got, got this. this. We got this. Oh, we are so excited to host this show. We got this. We're going to have a show Monday through Thursday, and every day we're going to be talking to one amazing guest who also happens to be a mom, but every day we're going to be asking them about different parts of their life. What inspires them? What makes them happy? What makes them sad? What did they do before they made it? And most of all, their mom journey, because these women have really made it. They really have. And they're all moms. Which is, I think, amazing in itself. Like being a mom is already a full-time job. It's a full-time job. And there's highs and there's lows and we're busy and we're juggling. And these are all working moms. Mm -hmm. So we want to hear their stories. What inspires them? What gets them down? What are the products they use and the recipes to make life easy? What products do they like? what they don't like. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I'm so excited about this. Every episode, we're actually going to hear from you guys, the listeners, because we want to hear your mom's got this moment. We want to hear about why your mom. So we want you to join us Monday through Thursday every week. And don't forget to subscribe. So make sure you go to our website, momsgotthispodcast.com. And use our hashtag, 
Mom's got this. <laughs> Premieres May 14th on Mouth Media Network and sponsored in part by luxury footwear brand Tamara Mellon. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. And hear all of our episodes on materialisyourbusiness.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. So we heard a lot about the airlines and I'm just curious, besides that airline project that you do, can you give us an idea of what is your consulting in the textile industry look like and what do you usually do? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I've been doing this for 20 years. I've been in the textile industry for 20 years and about 11 years working independently. Um, as an independent, I've worked with a range of different companies. So sometimes I've, I, I've been doing what we call representation. I rep some lines. Sometimes I've acted more as a, maybe let's say, a public relation person. And some other times, like now, it's more um, consulting work where basically the stakes are a little bit different. You're really connecting people um, without the stake that, uh, you know, you would have if you are representing a company. When you represent a company, obviously, it's a different kind of arrangement. It's often supposed to be long term because you're going to build the business for a given uh, supplier in the United States. And as you know, financially, there is a reward system uh, as you as you you uh, manage to, uh, you know, generate sales, you, you get an incentive, you get commission on it. So a little bit different than when you do pure consulting work where it's a contract and you are paid a certain amount to help over a, maybe a shorter period of time, you work on a mission to help, uh, you know, a company or a group of companies to, to connect to the brands they want to connect to. So... I think it's interesting to have to have these different types of roles. Um, each one of them has, I would say, um, different uh, characteristic and and different uh, motivations for me. And I know you've worked with some incredible brands like you know Target, Gap, right. Burton, Tory Burch, Nike, Zach Posen, obviously. How did you even start in this, and why before yeah. you even started getting into these brands? What was the beginning? Well, listen, the beginning into getting, like if we talk about getting into a brand, for example, let's say Nike or Levi's or Target or The Gap, it really starts with the vendor, with the supplier, who they are, what's their product line, um, what makes them different. Um, and then uh, once I understand that, I look uh, the other way. I look towards the brands in the United States and I try to find the best target audience for my suppliers. So that's really how it starts. Uh, I'm going to give you an example for Nike. Um, so Nike um, is related to my vendor, Concordia Textiles. It's a company based in Belgium with, with plants in China and, and other countries like Bangladesh. They specialize in fabrics for outerwear, for outdoors. Um, they have a very creative collection. They do synthetic outerwear, 
performance outerwear and a lot of fashion, different fashion looks. So when I started working with them, again, looking at their line, looking at what they propose, I, I turn around and I think about what's the possible target audience. One of them was Nike. Now, Nike seems to be or seem to be the really the big prize, the tough one to get. So making it even more interesting. Um, and, and I got a bit lucky there. Uh, and I think this is uh, part of some of the gain that you have by being in industry for so long, simply some of the people that I had worked with on the East Coast at Polo Ralph Lauren, Ralph Lauren had moved to uh, work with Nike. Especially now you see a lot of East Coast people moving to Portland. It's interesting. Nike is hiring a lot. So this has a big benefit is you know them and you can reach out to them. So that's what I did. I reached out to this person. She's now a VP at the time. She was, I think, a senior man material manager. Took my meeting. She knew me from my work with Genealogy. Yeah? She used to work in denim. Got my first appointment. The first appointment presented Concordia. I would say she was, mm, yeah, interested, but, you know, nothing more. Second appointment, um, it was so-so. And suddenly at the third appointment, the first presentation, maybe a year later, they just asked us to onboard us. It was, suddenly it was like, oh, my God, we love this line. Uh, this is not like anything we have. We want to onboard you and we're going to start the process. And, and this is how it happens. So, uh, you know. So yeah. that's you flying up all the way to them three mm -hmm. times in a row? Well, the, the, those three times happened probably over, over a year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've, like, like I'm trying to describe, a very mild interest in the beginning. And suddenly the one meeting where everything changes and it becomes urgent for them to onboard us. So, of course, I was ecstatic, you can yes. imagine. So then they <clears> wanted to do some auditing of the plants. That, that's what they started, uh, especially for wastewater management. So this took some time. I had to convince the management of Concordia that they had to release some information that they were not so keen on releasing in the beginning. But we got through all of that. And then finally, we could start working with Nike. I find it so interesting because when we think as consumers of a Nike, and we've had them mm. on air before, they do so much of their own proprietary material development mm. with fly knit and fly leather. Mm. But then to know also that these major brands have a, you know, mm. have other needs, obviously, mm. and work with someone like you to find mm. certain things that even a Nike mm. isn't either thinking about or have access to or know. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, sometimes important to think about. There's a reason for this, though. And the reason for this is the evolution of um, athletic apparel. Um, in the past few years that has trended towards adopting more fashion styles and the evolution, conversely, of fashion apparel adopting more athletic styles. So it's kind of this uh, merging of, of these two worlds together. Um, and in the case of Nike, the fact that suddenly they realized they need to be more fashion, a bit more fashion forward. And they didn't have that in their supplier base, or, or at least not as much as they needed. And so, and so in, from that point of view, we became very interesting. I find it very interesting, the, the process. Yeah. Um, any, any person that's not in the fashion industry or doesn't understand about um, materials, because, you know, 
we hit a lot of different other uh, markets. They just don't, they just think that the, they just go to the store, buy the fabric, send it or speak mm. to a rep. They don't know the little details of mm. this goes this way, this goes, you know, you have to take mm. it back and put it forward and, mm. and send it again. And the process that it takes to, as a salesperson, the persistency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I would say salesperson, but still, it's, yeah, um, no. you know, a rep. Yeah. So, um, my, my question is what, what, what designer or what company has been one that you have decided not to approach again? Because if it took you three years and that third you landed Nike, is there a customer that you've been approaching and you're just like, you know what? I do not want to deal with this anymore. I don't think it's going yeah, to go anywhere. Wrong. Or how, what keeps you motivated? No, you're right. It's you, you have to, I, I, sometimes I even myself wonder <laughs> because you have to keep, to keep that internal drive and motivation. So I think in terms of personality, you need a certain personality to be able to do this job. Uh, you can't get discouraged too fast. And and also, I think the other thing is you need to get some wins, right? So I, I got a few wins that I'm very proud of. So Nike would be one of them. Just to go back to Nike, just to tell you how so many people around me doubted that this was going to work. Even the owner of my, my supplier, it's a family business. I remember him telling me during dinner... Um, Man on Nike, it's not going to work. Like with such assurance, whereas I was in there trying to make it happen. And I actually told him, I thought I was hoping he was wrong and he was wrong. So, so this is what you work up against sometimes. So you need, you definitely need that drive. There are other cases, obviously, when you see that things are not progressing. So you, you need to analyze the situation. You also see some brands that take from you. They take, they take, they take, and then they don't give. And um, I'm, I'm lucky that I think the business partners I, I work with right now, we have a very clear understanding of how we want to work, who we want to work with, and the, term, the type of relationship we want. We're ready to give a lot, but at some point, we need to get back. And so you need to understand, you need to see when, at what point you're going to draw the line and simply what you do is you just stop calling them. I mean, rarely did I tell, you know, somebody I have, but rarely did I tell them, listen, you know, it's it's not just... It's just not happening and we can't be, you know, doing all these things for you when we see that nothing is, is going to happen. But sometimes I, you have to say that yeah. because you have to, <clears throat> we have at the end of the day, the business has to be profitable. Otherwise, it doesn't work. As a kind of a woman and a strong woman mm. in the textiles business and, and running your own company, kind of finding that inspiration in yourself, where do you look to and what do you do and any lessons learned in how to kind of grow this business as you've been doing it yourself for 20 years? I think I, I will go back uh, a little bit to what I said earlier. It means you need some wins. Of course, if you lose all the time, but basically what's happening, you need a lot of iron in the fire when you when you work into, you see what I work with right now. We work on uniforms. I'm working with this uh, outdoor company. I have another uh, consulting project with the Federation of Leather Industry. So, so, so you're working on all these different things. You need a good number of iron in the fire, and then you need some wins, obviously. And then you pull on these wins to 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 drive you. You said you're working with the Federation of the Leather Industry, so that's right. working with the government. Can you tell right. us a little bit about what it's like working in the government now, taking yeah. it away from the company and the brand? Yes. Totally other experience when it comes to textiles. What are you doing there? It's different. So this is the Moroccan government. 
Um, I got connected with them be simply because over the years I've done work with Morocco. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a small world. People get to know you and they were looking for somebody to help them to connect their manufacturing base to U.S. brands. So that's my, actually my second mission with them. Uh, I, I did a mission for textile and apparel two years ago. Now I'm working with uh, their, their leather industries. It's different because you really, you really advise and help in a bit of a different way than when you have, you know, a stake in it. It's, the relationship is shorter. It's a, usually a six months mission. And during this six months mission, you 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 know you look at these companies you 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 look at their product line you look at what they have to offer their setup and then again you turn around and you look at the possible audience the possible targets and you connect them and then you you try to give them the best advice you can to for success but at some point you also there's a power where you need to let go a little bit which is you're not there you're not the rep who's going to follow them follow them for you know, year after year and work hand in hand with them, you're here for a much, much shorter amount of time. So you do, you do the best you can uh, during that period of time. And then you sort of have to let go a little bit to trust that they will pick it up and make it happen by themselves. This is actually hard for me sometimes because I'm used to continue to not, not let all the people take over to make it happen. I usually I try to make it happen. In this case, I, I'm guiding them and then I, I, need, I need to let them sort of handle things. You also touched on that you had worked at Genealogica. Mm -hmm. And I actually know them from years ago. Mm. My company was a finalist with them in the WGSN Global Fashion Awards oh, in wow. London. They won for the incredible things they're doing yeah, with I remember that. Wonder if you can touch a little bit on what you did with them and what they're doing, because it's just also an interesting kind of specialty material that has a major impact, we know, from a sustainable perspective yes. on the world. Yeah, Genealogica is a very unique company around the world. So their expertise is garment finishing technologies garment finishing technologies to make production more efficient, less expensive, so more efficient, but also to use less chemicals and to reduce the impact on the environment of garment finishing. So they created um, different technology. The core technology is the laser. Then you have ozone. And then you, you have a few more. Um, so, so basically for them, I did, I would say over 10 years, I, I did both um, the job of promoting, selling uh, the tools, for example, on the LA market to the uh, laundry, the denim laundries. I worked a little bit in Mexico. And then a lot of my work had to do with the brands, uh, basically communicating all the benefits of using the technologies to the brands, even though the brands were not going to be the buyers, but they were clearly the influencers. So that was a big part of the job was to meet with them, show them great collections with incredible, innovative finishing, and sort of make them, incite them to ask their vendors to get in touch with Genealogia and acquire these technologies. So it's, it's a very rewarding also kind of job because you, you work really at the edge of the field of garment finishing and sustainability. Um, it's very innovative. The team at Genealogia is, 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 is very exciting team of very driven people who are constantly researching and developing. So it's a, it was a very exciting company to, to work with. So that approach that uh, Genealogy took on mm -hmm. um, presenting a 
a beautiful collection to the designers to get that that is that something that um most companies do or is that something that they just decided to approach it that way i mean i think it's yeah. genius yeah yeah it is genius no most companies i mean now now it's kind of the things if you want but i think genealogia was kind of a pioneer for a, an equipment company it's a bit mm -hmm. less sexy to say equipment company but yes. at the end of the day it's an equipment company um for the for the equipment company to create a relationship directly to the brand usually the equipment company they go visit factories right mm -hmm. um so to 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 decide to build this dialogue directly with the brand and and to create this this collections renewed every six months of really interesting and new innovation to give ideas to the denim industry i think was very unique and and the yeah. i've done with a lot of my um thread manufacturers oh, and right. machine companies has approached the brands and they will look at me like yeah. two heads why am i going to invest money in that yeah <laughs> so it is interesting to see it yes it's yeah. a very big investment yeah. for a corporation yeah. that but it paid off for genealogia it paid off yeah that's great to yeah, hear. Really. Before we get into kind of some personal questions and get to know you and that incredible accent a little bit better, curious, any predictions when it comes to textiles and the innovations we're seeing today of where we're going in the short or long-term future? Anything with the industry at large and materials, innovation, sustainability made in U.S., anywhere we're going? Yeah. Well, sustainability, I think, is here to stay. I'm not saying something really exceptional here, but five years ago, I remember going to some conferences where people were saying that uh, the green movement is a fad, that it was not going to stay, that it was, and, and already then we're like, well, it doesn't look that way. So it's not going away. It's really, you can see that uh, many brands, so I used to visit a lot of brands and some of them would tell me, my consumer, my customers, they, they don't care about, you know, organic cotton or more sustainable clothing or where it's made. And what's really interesting to see is now they don't say that anymore. They don't say my consumers don't care. They say we got to do it. Basically, they're taking the responsibility onto themselves. And I think that's a very important shift. So I see a lot of that working also in outerwear. That's why I love outerwear so much, because believe it or not, working for, going from denim to uh, Textile outerwear, it's not so different because both these categories care a lot about sustainability and have um, taken major steps in that direction. For for example, uh, using PFC-free finish now instead of so changing the technology to make your garment waterproof. It's very important because not so long ago, we, we were using CA technology chemistry. Then we moved to C6 chemistry and now the brands are moving to C0, like Nike, everything has to be C0. So what this does is it's less toxic for the environment. It's less, it's less harmful to us, the wearers of the garments. So nobody, it's not a legal requirement, but it's, it's industry driven, which I think is really great. So I think, sorry, so this is one thing, definitely. I think the huge challenge I will be facing, obviously, is uh, the overconsumption of apparel and, and how do we deal with waste. Um, and I, I think there's, there's some incredible initiatives that are being explored. I don't think it's there yet, but I, I saw when I briefly looked at the people you invited, you invited Stacey Flynn, who is mm -hmm. a great friend of mine, uh, Evernew. 
Yes, mm -hmm. she's, a, she's a friend of mine for a very long time and she's working exactly in this field of transforming, uh, you know, apparel into new fiber to be able to weave again. So this is extraordinary and that's, it's clear that this is the biggest, one of the biggest challenge we're facing. Um, you know, in addition to that, performance is important, you know, finding, I think performance is not going away. People want comfortable garments, uh, they want function. Um, so, so, so I would say these three elements, as, as I can see them, are the biggest trends. Without a doubt. Okay, we're going to get to know you personally right after this. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIASENN, at checkout. So I detect an accent, and I'm curious, if you weren't living and working in New York City, where in the world would you be and why? Would it be home? Home, home? Oh, that's a tough question to answer. I'm not sure it would be home. I mean, I love France. Luckily, I get to go there often. I mean, last I counted my trips to Europe last year, I think I did seven probably five or six of them to France. So um, I'm there a lot and I love it. I think I feel so enriched by the ability to have one foot in each culture. It's amazing, really. You you try to get the both the best of both worlds and, and it, it makes, I think, for a very enriched life. So I'm proud of that. But I don't know where I could live because I was very adventurous when I was young. I actually felt I would move to Latin America. I'm, I'm also fluent in Spanish and I had Argent with a friend of mine, we just wanted to move to Argentina. So who knows where I would have been? <laughs> Maybe in Asia. I don't know. Do you travel there often for work? Not as much as I used to. So I, I used to travel to you know Hong Kong, Thailand, Indonesia, visiting some plants there. Not as much now. Now I'm more focused. I, I have so much to do in the U.S. and then occasionally visiting the plants, Morocco, uh, you know, Spain. Um, there's one in China, but I, I don't spend I don't spend enough time there. Yeah, I'm heading there in a few days too. You are yes. Oh wow. <laughs> um, so I know you're getting married. That's right. <laughs> Tell us about your Michael. <laughs> Michael. Uh, Michael, Michael, my God, Michael is the love of my life. So I'm, I'm, you know, what can I say? I'm beyond happy. Um, to have found him. I think, uh, you know, we were luck very lucky. Like I told you earlier off the record, I don't mind to say it, we met online, we met on match.com. Woohoo! It was, um, I can say, it was pretty much love at first sight. We were madly in love as soon as we met. 
we fairly quickly decided to live together and make our life together. He has four children. <laughs> so, you know, you integrate everybody into the mix and everybody's got different personalities. And they're all, you know, fairly older, 15 to 22. So it's not too young, which I think could be more difficult. But it's fun because Michael is also very international. He also speaks French. He travels a lot around the world. And we have a lot in common, and, and I love his family. So I couldn't be happier. That That's great. great. Congratulations. Thank and you don't very we much. wish there was a match.com for brands with textiles and textiles consultants to make it all easy and a match made in heaven? <laughs> that would be great. As you kind of reflect on your 20 years in yeah. this industry and the work you've done, any final thought, reflection, message to leave our listeners with? Yes, I think it's a fascinating industry. It's got so much, so many sides to it. You know, I, um, I fell into it. I didn't really choose it, but then I grew into it. I grew to love textiles as I was working in this industry. And I remember two occurrences over 20 years, not too much, where I felt, I felt I wanted to change career. And every time I went back to it uh, with more energy and enthusiasm, um, and I think it's wonderful. So I, um, yeah, I think this, this is it for me. Of course, if you can diversify it a little bit in the sense of maybe work with different companies or different people or, you know, there's a way to keep it interesting. That's what material does to you. It keeps on bringing you back. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's it. How can our listeners connect with you? What's the best way to reach you? Well, you can just email me. That's easy. You can. It's my first name. Shall I give my my address? It's my first name at my first and last name dot com. So Manon at manonclavel.com. Very easy. Reach out to me and we can talk about Great. anything. Great. Thank you, Manon, so much for joining us. And thank, thank you. It was thank awesome. You. Thank you Loved guys it. for listening and for Samantha Cortez. Adios. I'm Adios. Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everyone. Back next time. You know where material is your business. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.